friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. God is with you and for you. And so when we hear that God is with us and for us, let's break it down to each person of the Holy Trinity. Is the Holy Spirit with us and for us? Yes, he is. Is the Lord Jesus Christ with us and for us? Yes, he is. Is the Father with us and for us? Now, I'm saying things what you're just thinking. Sometimes, and this is what Nike and I have, have found out in talking to people about their belief in God. They know that Jesus loves them. They know that the Holy Spirit loves them because he's the hippie person of the Trinity. But the Father, we're just not... We would say he loves us most of the time. And um, I want to talk about that. Why do we think that God the Father only loves us some of the time? Like if we're going to sit in the Trinity van, we don't want to sit out in the front seat with the Father. We'd like to sit in the middle seat with Jesus. Because we just think that the Father... Well, I'm going to say it. We know that the Father is full of glory and power and is fully God. We know that the Son is full of glory and power and fully God. We know that the Spirit is full of glory and power and divinity, he's fully God. But I think we just think the son might be a little bit better of a person than the father. There, I said it. Now, you may not say that, like, oh, I never said that. No, you don't say it, but your feet show it. My feet show it sometimes. We just think the son is a little bit better of a person. And we know that the son is a lot like the father. We just wish the father was more like the son. Now, if you don't believe that's true, there's a lot of people that love Jesus, but to keep their faith in Jesus, they are done with church because they're told that Jesus loves them and the Father's working on it. And they say, I, I, I can't do that anymore. So to save my faith, um, I'm done. Where did that come from? Where did that teaching come from? How do we handle it? Well, I think we have to handle it very carefully, very biblically, very patiently. But I also want you to know this. The Father's really good. And Jesus fully reveals who the Father was. I want you to get more and more confident that the Father loves you. Now, to understand how much the Father loves you, we need to talk about locating God's heart in Holy Week. So when I say locating God's heart, like the Father... Where was the Father when, during Holy Week? Holy Week starts with Palm Sunday when Jesus rode in, and then on Monday, you know, he cursed the fig tree, and then on Thursday, he had his last supper with his friends, and then Thursday night, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he was arrested, and then he died on Friday. He was buried Friday, he was buried, and then he's in the grave Saturday, you know that. He, and then he rose again on Sunday, where was the Father during Holy Week? Was, was the Father with Jesus when he rode into Palm Sunday? Yes, he was. Was he with Jesus when he cursed the fig tree? Yes, he was. Was he with Jesus when he had the supper with his friends? Yes, he was. Was he with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus knew that he was going to heal us of sin and death and the devil? And I'll talk more about that later. Because that's such a trick, you know, it's a word that a lot of people like, ooh, that, like it's, a, it's a twitch word. Like, ooh, I get twitchy. Think, oh, we'll talk about that. Um, 
when, when Jesus healed us of our sin and death and all that's evil in the world, and now he lives inside of us, was, was he with us on Thursday night? Yes. Was he with us on, was the Father with Jesus on Friday? I think some of us are not sure. I think a lot of us think that the Father wasn't with Jesus on Good Friday, that the Father was somehow far away. And then by the time Saturday rolled around, the Father said, well, after he did what I asked him to do, I'll find him, and then on Sunday, it's all good. So there's that weird section on Good Friday where we don't think that the Father was with the Son. And you think, okay, what does that have to do with anything? Well, let's break this down relationally. Jesus did exactly what the Father wanted him to do, and he's the perfect kid. God the Father sent the Son to die for us. He did exactly what the Father wanted him to do, and when he accomplished it, we either were told or we think, when he did the very thing the Father wanted him to do, and he was so desiring communion, and he was so needy of the Father. We think that the Father turned his back at that moment? And if he's the perfect kid, and I'm not a perfect kid, will God turn his back on me, and I'm not even as good as Jesus? Uh, a little bit of trust issues going on there. Do you see how that happens relationally? Okay, well, that's why people, it just, it just doesn't make sense. So I want to go back to locating God's heart and Holy Week. And I want to show you a picture of how early Christians um, saw a picture of this. So, oh, um, go one before, yeah, go there. This is an old picture of the cross, okay? And um, I have a translation of 2 Corinthians 5.18. So is this in the way here? I'll turn this down. I don't want this to be okay. I love this picture of the cross because it shows, I think, this, of course, is Jesus. This down here is a grave with a smiling skull because Jesus frees us from death. And so why is the skull smiling? Because death now has a new owner. Because who has the keys of death and hell? According to the book of Revelation, Jesus does. He goes, woohoo, okay. Death is not the end of things. So this guy, the, and over here, as an extension of the cross, this, red, this woman in red is a picture of Mary or the picture of the whole Old Testament because the Old Testament, which we love, promised Jesus that he would come and free us from our sins. And so this is the woman spoken of in Genesis 3, but it's also Mary. And over here is just a picture of like, his, like Apostle John. And on top, this is a picture of Jesus and the veil of the temple is torn pointing to Easter Sunday so that we can all go directly to God because our sins are taken away. Now notice what the early church thought, that Jesus died for our sins and he heals us and this tree bears fruit. What do you mean a cross bears fruit? The cross is the best fruit tree in the world. What, what fruit does it bear? You and me. Because his death brings us what? Life. Now the question is, let's do like pin the tail on, on the cross. Where is God's tail when Jesus died? Is it here? Is it here? Is it here? Is it here? Let's read what the Bible says. All things come out of God, who through the anointed, that's Christ, has reconciled us to himself. God was in the anointed, reconciling the cosmos to himself. 
the world to himself. Where was God when Jesus was reconciling the world? Where was he? Here? Where? Where, 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 where? Okay, Marco Polo, Marco Polo, Marco Polo, 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 Polo. Right there. Where was he? Right there. If we keep God's heart inside of Jesus on Good Friday, you'll never doubt God's love for you. But what's happened is that we think the heart of God is moving away from Jesus on Good Friday and then going back in later on. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, how did that happen? So, I'm going to use a word for you. It's going to be a word you're going to like, oh, one of those words that make no sense. I need to tell you a story, too, because this is so funny. Nike and I went to seminary, and seminarians, um, we love, like, nerd words, and we have chapel at seminary, which is, which is horrific, because our professors preach, and they're, like, so eloquent. And then we preach, and we're like, blah, blah, God loves you, and blah, get me out of here. I'm sorry I wasted your 20 minutes. Go get a snack. Um, I remember one time, one of our, my favorite profs, and he was such a nerd, and all the nerds love this prof. I had one friend. This is when we had Walkmans. I'm dating myself, how old I was. He was listening to a Walkman, and I said, so what do you listen to, REM or something? He goes, no, I'm listening to the Gospel of Mark in Greek. And I thought, nerd alert. You're listening to the Gospel of Mark in Greek? Nerd. This guy's a total nerd. Well, this, our favorite prof is giving a sermon, and man, he was just sweating. And it was so beautiful. He's talking about, we'll see Jesus face to face when, you know, in the new heavens and new earth. And we'll behold him face to face. And this is how he ended the sermon. And brothers and sisters, in the end, behold the eschaton. Mic drop. He actually said, behold the eschaton. And my, I looked at my nerd friend and he was weeping. Behold the eschaton. <laughs> And later on, I thought, hey, what does that mean? I mean, if I go to, if I go to you know, Taco Bell and say, behold the eschaton, they're going to say, may, may the force be with you. Or what is that, Star Wars? What is that? Okay, but that's a word. Eschaton means at the end, we'll see Jesus. Okay? But why can't we just say it in plain English? I'm going to give you another word that's going to be as, like, it's going to blank you out. It's the word atonement. Have you guys ever heard that word? Okay, atonement, you think, oh, that's great. I've Eschaton! It's that like eschaton word. It doesn't make any sense. I'm going to make it make sense. There's the atonement. And you know what the word actually means? It's three words stuck together. At, one, meant. Where did God make us at, one, with God? Atonement is all about this word right here. Reconciling. Where did God reconcile? So at one minute. And so the way to remember atonement is this. Hey, God, where are you at when Jesus saved us? That's atonement. Hey, God, where are you at? And for you English teachers, I'm sorry I ended in a preposition, but not sorry. Because it makes sense. Hey, God, where are you at when Jesus saved us? That's atonement. Hey, God, where are you at when Jesus saved us? Well, according to the scriptures... When Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, right before he died, where was the Father on Good Friday? He was with him. Where did Paul say he was with him? He's more than with him. God was in Christ. And when he's talking God, he's talking about the Father. The Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Hey, God, where are you at when you saved us? 
Oh, I was right there. You know why? Because me and my son and the Holy Spirit want to save you because we love you. So where is the atonement located? Marco Polo, Marco Polo, Marco Polo. The atonement was located where? Inside Jesus, internally. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, now I can, I know that's my nerd part. I apologize, but don't really, I'm really not sorry. It's very important to locate the heart, Father's heart on, on good. He's right there. He loves you. Okay, now this is what happened. If you could do the next slide. What happened, um, that's for the first thousand years of the Christian church. What happened after that, um, when some people that had a legal background, uh, attorneys, and attorneys are great, but when they talk about the things of the heart, sometimes they get very contractual. And this is what some people actually say. Father sent the Son, and the atonement is not located in the Son. It's not personal. It's an agreement outside of them that, they, that happens externally. A transaction. A transaction. So the atonement is no longer within the person of the Son, it's in an agreement that they have sometime between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, where the Father says, let me see what you did. Hmm, well done. Like it. We're good. It's called an external atonement. But here's the problem. As soon as you locate God's heart outside the atonement, you also dislocate the source of conflict that makes you doubt whether God the Father loves you. You think that makes no sense. Okay, can you throw up the next slide? Thanks, Deb. Um, timeline. Jesus died in... This is 1052. This is today. First thousand believed that the atonement is not a thing, but the atonement is a person. Who atoned for our sins? Jesus did. Where was the Father when Jesus died for us? He was in him and with him. Why? Because he loves him. So the atonement is very personal. So between AD 33 and 1052, that's uh, about a thousand years ago, right? The Christian church taught that Jesus is the atonement and that God is in Christ reconciling the world. So the atonement is not a thing. The atonement is what? It's a person. And whose heart's inside that person? Jesus. Well, then there was this really, a really good guy by the name of Anselm who wrote a book called Why the God-Man. And in 1052, he said the atonement is a work separate from Jesus. And he presented that work to the Father. So the atonement is a work that must be presented to the Father. And then people blame John Calvin, and I think Calvin really shouldn't be blamed for this. Um, Calvin was a young man when he wrote his Institutes. In book two, he says this. In book four, he says something much more gracious. So he's, but he was a young guy. He's 26. So I think Calvin is not the issue. The real guy is Charles Hodge. And I say this as a Presbyterian. He wrote a book called Systematic Theology in 1850 during the Civil War. And in that book, he says, no, the atonement is not a person. The atonement is a, is a contract between the Father and the Son. It's outside of the Son. It's a contract. And he ratifies the contract. And Hodge gets really hard on that. So he dislocates the atonement from being inside Jesus to being outside of Jesus and an agreement 
that the Father and Son do. Now here's the, the issue, is that, so what's the aha here? Well, where's the conflict? I'll, put, I'll explain it like, uh, like the, the kids in the back say, what's conflict? Where's the battle? What's the bad, who's the bad guy, who's the good guy? And whose side is God on? The real problem is sin and death. And God wants to destroy the things that are destroying us. So the real problem are the things that are hurting us. And God wants to be on our side to destroy the things that are hurting us. So the conflict is outside of God, and God is for humanity to destroy the things that are harming them. Sin, death, and evil. Does that make sense? So the conflict is external, sin, death, and the devil, when God's heart is in the atonement. But if you move God's heart out of the atonement, what happens is that the conflict is internal of God. And the conflict has been moved. In other words, the enemy is not so much sin, death, and devil. The enemy of the conflict is that God loves you, but he's just, and he's got to, he's got to solve the problem that he has. The conflict's inside of God. The conflict is not inside of God. The conflict's with, with us. We're the ones that need to be reconciled to God. God doesn't need to be reconciled to us. We're the problem, not God. And all I'm saying is that if you remove God's heart from being with Jesus on Good Friday, you change the location of the conflict. Now, how does that work out in practice? I have friends that have walked back their tweets as pastors. I'll give you a tweet that they wrote, okay? And they walked it back. But then they walked it back, and it still didn't make any sense. The tweet was this, or a statement that they would do online or um, on Instagram, and then we talked about it. They'll say, aren't you grateful that Jesus was forsaken of the Father so that you'll never be forsaken? And then they'll say, what? I said, what? Well, and he actually told me, he said, ah, that's just pastoral rhetoric. I said, well, do you think that, that Jesus was all alone? Oh, no, no, he, we, the Trinity wasn't broken. Well, what did you mean by that? He goes, ah, it's just drama. I said, no, it's not drama. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Son was alone? Well, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of you are thinking that right now, right? Can I go there for a minute? Okay, I will. In Jesus' day, the Psalms were not numbered. We have Psalm 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. How did the Psalms, how were they referenced in Jesus' day? You would say the first line of a Psalm. Psalm 22, written by a human being who's had a bad day, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And when you have a bad day, how do you begin your prayers? God, you don't care about me. God, I'm giving you a grade on your job today. F failing when we're honest. How does this guy begin his prayer? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the beginning of Psalm 22. So why did Jesus say that? One, because that's how Psalm 22 begins. Let me read to you what it says later on in that psalm. 
Because Jesus says he's fulfilling this psalm. So Psalm 22, if you read down to verse 34, says the following. Because you just can't read the one verse. You've got to read the whole psalm. In Psalm 22, the psalmist says this. And then I'm going to tell you what I think is going on there. So here is a, is a, is a picture of a, of a suffering servant in Psalm 22. But beginning here in Psalm, in Psalm 22, verse 19 down to verse 24. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to be my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all your offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard me when I cried to him. He began the psalm, you abandoned me. But how does he end the psalm? As I pray to you, you didn't abandon me. You've been with me the whole time. Do you guys hear that? then why did Jesus say it? Because as sinners, what do we think about God when we're at our worst? You abandoned me. And what did Jesus die to do? To take away the what of the world? The sins of the world, including the lie that we think of God abandons us. He became one of us. He wore that sin and he threw it into the ground. Because that's what we believe. We don't believe that the Father's for us. If we doubt that, let's locate where God is on the cross. But when we hear things like, aren't you glad that God forsake Jesus so that you won't be forsaken? It's, it complicates things. So what I'm saying is, the Bible's not an easy book. It's a beautiful book. It's not an easy book. I think we need to go back to this. They spoke the very language that the Bible was written in. I think we should go with them. Now, there's about a third of the Christians around the world that never have believed this, that still believe this. But they're located in Ethiopia, Russia, China. They're just not in Texas and California and Canada. Except that there are a few weird ones. And I think we need to be very patient with people. And I, what I want to, to, to encourage you all to know is this, that... Um, This has been something that I've had to tell God I'm sorry for. God's a really good father. And I'm sorry for thinking that you ever abandoned me. Because I know that Jesus reflects who you really are. And I'm sorry for thinking that Jesus loves me more. Would you please forgive me? Because I know, Father, you love me just as much as Jesus. Because he has your heart and you have his heart. And you tell us not to separate the two. I want you guys to know, and I, I really mean this. It's... It's a lie from the pit of hell if you think that the Son loves you more than the Father. He does not. He learned to love you from his Father. And yes, there is a forsakenness of Jesus on the cross, but that's the sin that we experience in our own heart. That's the lie that we believe. That's the lie of Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, they thought when God came for them that God was going after them. My friends, and, they, and I used to believe this myself, so I'm not, I'm not pointing my finger at them. I used to believe 
God, the Trinity is never broken, but in some way, God, did, the Father, didn't like the Son on Good Friday. And there came a point where I realized, that's not good Christian, that's not biblical theology. That was a change right here. When we made a relationship a contract. Now, I'm going to go back to where I began with. Why are people walking away? Because relationships are important. When you, want to, when you think about becoming a Christian, you want to have a good relationship with God. You want to relate to God. You want to trust the person. And when we say, I trust Jesus, I trust the Holy Spirit, but I don't trust the Father, that's kind of a dysfunctional family. Because we're just not sure how much the Father loves us. Oh, he loves you. Now, does he like sin? No, he hates it. Does he... Does he discipline us? You bet. Does he do some pretty hefty interventions? Oh, yeah. So he's a bit of an Italian mother, okay? It happens. Hey, what's the matter you? Come on. Wake up. But why does he do that? When he's angry, what is he really angry at? The thing that's killing you. He wants you to wake up. He wants me to wake up. But that's out of love. He's not two-faced. He's not like a bad Italian race car. I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you. You know, like, no. He loves us the whole time. So, how do we know that? Can you go back to that one picture, Deb? I want you to think of this picture here. 2 Corinthians 5.18, where was God when Jesus was here? God was in the Christ where does the Bible say God was located when Jesus died? On Good Friday? Where was He? Where does the Bible precisely say? He was where? In Him. Reconciling the world. He was there. We need to believe the Scriptures. He was there. Even on the cross, what's the last thing Jesus said? Into your hands I commend my spirit. We did it, Dad. We conquered this thing. He is not learning to love you. He's always loved you. And he's always hated the things that's killing you. In Genesis 3, we have what's called the first promise of the gospel. Adam and Eve sinned. They fell. Adam and Eve ran away. God came close to them. They believed the lie that God had abandoned them and that God doesn't like them. And so when God came close to them, what did they do? They ran away and they felt naked and ashamed. And in this beautiful ancient story, God says, well, what's going on? He goes, we were naked. We felt ashamed and that we heard you like you're after us, right? He goes, no, come here, kids, basically. And, you know, and that, that ancient serpent that deceived them, God says to the serpent, um, there's going to be a war coming. There's going to be a conflict. And the conflict is between the woman and you. And from this woman, here's what's going to happen. One of her kids is going to come, and you're going to bite him on the heel. But when you bite him on the heel, he's going to crush your skull. So God did say a conflict is coming, but who's God's conflict with? 
the thing that's killing the woman. His kids, no conflict. But the thing that's, it's with, the, it's with that, that, that serpent, with death and sin, that's the conflict. And God says, I'm with the woman, and I'm going to solve that problem. And where, over the course of 4,000 years, did it go from the conflict being with sin and death and the devil to within God? And then people walk away. And it breaks my heart. So, when it comes to Good Friday, play Marco Polo. Marco Polo, Marco Polo, where are you, God? Where, where does the Bible say God is? Where does Jesus say God is? Where is God? He's in Christ. And if he's in Christ, that means he's for what Christ is doing. God never abandons his children. Ever. But we're the ones that say that. That's why it's there. Read that psalm. That's what we do. And that's, that's what we do all the time. And Jesus says, I'm going to wear that and I'm going to heal you of that sinful pattern. We're the ones that think God abandons us. He never abandons us. How do we know that? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish. He loves a world not so big, but a world so goofy. So weird. So, God, leave me alone. He says, nope. I love you. I am never going away. And I want to heal that. Because I want to be reconciled to you. But you're mine. And I will never let you go. And then quietly says, and don't ever try to divide me and my son and my spirit. We get along all the time. God was in Christ reconciling the world. Where was God's heart on Good Friday? Locate his heart. And if you locate his heart on Good Friday, you can locate his love for you on every day you have. He's with you and for you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, um, I know this is some difficult subject, but I, I know that you're with us and for us. And we're so glad, Holy Father, that you were in your Son reconciling us. And so now we can believe what St. Paul says, that while we were yet sinners, you reconciled us to yourself. Oh, Lord, how you take us when we're so cranky and you turn us around is so beautiful. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. And thank you, Holy Spirit.